HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by A Dozen Cousins, soulfully seasoned, ready-to-eat beans. Learn more at adozencousins.com. Hi, everyone. This is Yon popping in to say hello and to share some quick life and podcast updates. So one, I'm coming off the high, the high, the high of watching the first episode of High on the Hog on Netflix and so much resonated with me. If you haven't seen it yet, I highly, highly recommend, highly recommend it, especially that first episode um, taped in Benin. Seeing that full first episode dedicated to African food on the continent, like really warmed my heart in ways I like I can't even describe. Um, seeing the market, all the hustle and bustle, and finally, finally, someone putting to rest the debate on yams versus sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes are not yams, my friends. Sweet potatoes are not yams. Um, my only gripe with the show, I guess from an African food perspective, was that there could have been at least one more episode on the continent because I think that there's still so much to unpack and to explore. Um, but either way, I also learned so much more about African-American contributions to America's culinary landscape, everything from mac and cheese in the White House to oyster culture and farming in Philly and in New York. Um, so all of that inspired me to reconnect with Chef Ade, who is the Beninese chef that I interviewed about two seasons ago, I believe. And since our conversation, she's made her own pilgrimage back to Benin a few times to connect with her with her food heritage. Um, so today, in light of one <laughs> high on the hog and just my conversations with Chef Ade, I wanted to share a replay of the conversation that we had. Um, and also letting you be the first to know that we will be hosting a series of viewings and Beninese dinners this summer to explore further some of the conversations from High on the Hog. These will mostly take place in the U.S. And we're hoping if all goes well, we can host a couple on the continent um, later this year. So in the U.S., we're looking mostly on the East Coast and then a few um, southern cities and then on the continent to most likely be, you know, limited to West Africa. So probably Benin and then maybe Ghana too as well. Um, so stay tuned to primarily to Chef Ade's Instagram pages at Dunu Cuisine um, for updates on the dinner series. And I'll also repost um, on our Item 13 podcast pages so that you have a sense of what's going on. Um, Chef Ade will also be launching a spice line soon featuring spices that she went home and learned about. So it will be a custom 
spice blends, custom spice blends from both Benin and then just across West Africa. Um, I guess finally, if you hadn't figured this out already, I wanted to take the opportunity to let you know that um, the podcast is going to be mostly offline for the summer while I adjust to being a new mom. And then also just having moved across the country and then also, I guess, working on this dinner series. So I'll be pretty busy this summer, but I look forward to reconnecting with you in the fall or perhaps seeing some of you this summer as we can commune over delicious Beninese food and engage in, in thoughtful discussion. Thank you. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Akuaku. Every week, we'll delve into the delicious world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. Welcome to the show, Adi. I'm excited to have you. I'm so thrilled to have you on. Um, you're calling in from home, right? Yes, I am. I'm so excited to be here as well. Um, but yes, I am calling in from home. Where's home? Let's, let's people know where home is. <laughs> yes, uh, home for me is uh, Porto Novo, Benin, which is the tiniest of countries on the west coast of Africa. Cool, cool, cool. And I actually met you in your, in your second home, I guess. <laughs> In, in Raleigh earlier this year actually was when I first met Ade in the most I I shouldn't say unusual but like interesting circumstances I guess because uh, I'd heard about you through a mutual friend of ours Chef Z and mm-hmm. uh, ended up in Raleigh for an event and I reached out to her randomly I just sent her I think it's in a DM actually because I don't even think I knew yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm in town you don't know me, but we know Z. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we like to catch up, hang out, whatever. And Adi was like, yes, please come over. And that for me, like 2020 has been like crazy, but that for me was one of the highlights of the year. Like you took me uh-huh. in. Like, I went, it just felt like so home because I was traveling alone and I didn't know anyone in Raleigh. And I was just there for the night after an event that was at. And I'm naturally an introvert. So in my head, I was like, okay, I'm going to see this girl, you know, chit-chat for an hour, and then I'll come back to the hotel and just relax till till my flight tomorrow morning. But I ended up staying, like, I think I got there around 7. I went up to 7, and we stayed till 1 a.m., just, like, eating, drinking. (laughs) So, like, such a homely... And and I'm sure when we talk about um, your business doing cuisine, maybe that's the feeling you're trying to actually recreate. Because I felt that when I was in your home, like I I'm not typically the one, especially for a first time meeting, to like hang out for that long. But you just made it feel so much like home, and I appreciate. I, I remember. I will never forget that. If I ever write a biography or autobiography, that will be one of my stories for sure. Oh. Oh my goodness, that is so kind of you to say thank you so much. Yeah, it was really kind of you guys. You don't understand. Like when when this when this episode goes out, I'll post the spread of food that she made. Like I was for someone that she never met, I was blown away by your hospitality. Um so so thank you. Thank you for taking me into your home and feeding me and um 
just being all around great. So I've given you a little snippet into who I know at ATB, but now I want you to tell us who you are, a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, um, and your influences growing yes. up. Yes, absolutely. So um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm from Park Novo, Benin. Uh, Park Novo is the capital of our country. Um, and I grew up in this little town called Women Detromede. Um, I was there till I was about 10 years old. Um, I was born to a military um, father. He was uh, the captain of the gendarmerie, we call it here. Um, and my mother, uh, she would never, <laughs> she would never admit this uh, because she's so humble, but she was quite the entrepreneur herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and at about 10 years old, I was adopted, and that's how I found myself in uh, the States, in the United States. Um, and from that time, I grew up in Connecticut from 10 to about 17 years old. Um, I grew up in uh, Connecticut. But, you know, um, some of my influences have got to just simply be the African woman mm-hmm. uh, watching my mother and my grandmother. Oh, my goodness. That, let me just tell you, that woman is 87 years old. I went to visit her um, on my trip here. Uh, she lives, my mother is from Togo, which is the country right next door to Benin. And oh, I didn't know that. Day, yeah, yeah. And that was like a beautiful thing to me because it's been uh, 19 years since I've been home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been so, my, my grandparents have never seen me as a woman. Uh, and so that, that, in itself was like, I'm never going to get the experience of going um, and seeing them. And uh, my grandmother is 87 years old. Her domain is the kitchen. She refuses to leave that kitchen. She wakes up in the morning, brings her little basket um, and puts everything from the kitchen inside the house uh, that she's going to use all day. Then she goes outside. That's where her kitchen is set up. She doesn't want to use the kitchen inside. She sits outside, she has a little sofa there. She sits there and she'll sit there all day and cook. Wow. And she'll come inside when it's time to actually eat. So I've never forgotten uh, my grandmother's cooking, my mime on my mother's side. My mother's also a wonderful cook. Um, and I'll never admit this to any of my, um, any of the women influences in my life. But my father was actually probably the best cook I've ever known. Wow. Wow. Uh, so don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> <laughs> did, he, did, he, did he cook a lot? Did he cook a lot? My father, um, he did not cook a lot because he, um, you know, the, the mom, mom cooked most yeah. of the time. But Sundays was my father's day. Sundays he was in the kitchen. Um, and he would start off when we were sent off to church, we would come back home and he would make sardine omelets. Oh my God. Uh, for us and that's how we start and then he'd make all, all types of sauces um and I actually have um a, a salad on my menu that's called uh la terre which in French means earth um and that's because we don't eat salads here like what is a salad we don't do that here uh, <laughs> but my father my father always made the salad and he always put beets in it um, and I have that on my menu and that's to pay homage to him because he was, I mean, just an amazing cook. Uh, and the salad that he made um, had beets and all sorts of things. 
uh, but I do golden beets and red beets and I put halloumi cheese and all sorts of citrusy things on there um, just to remember some of the small things, you know, that I saw my father doing. That's but, so yeah, cool. I mean, that's just <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, that's so interesting to me how you have like such a vivid memory of like even the, your food culture growing up in Benicis since you left like at 10, right? You said you left at 10. Mm-hmm. Even within those yeah. first 10 years, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. I feel like I barely have good, <laughs> not good, but like vivid memories of stuff growing up like that. It sounds then like cooking and maybe even family and communal eating was like a big part of your um, family culture, I guess, family food culture growing up. How was that different? Yeah. Um, when you when you move to you know to, to your adopted family, I guess. Oh, girl, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> so I remember always having three meals a day um, mm. at the table as a family. So my mother, God bless her, she's just I'm just so proud of the person that she is. As I'm now learning more about her. Um, she would wake up in the morning and have make breakfast for us. We'd eat and go to school. Then we'd come back in the afternoon um, and have lunch again as a family. She would cook and have it all ready. We'd walk back to school, come back in the evening time. Uh, she would have cooked again. We'd, she'd bathe us and then it was time for us to eat again. So the dinner table, uh, that communal style is something that has never, it's been like engraved in my mind. Um, and when I came to the States, it was very different. You see, um, the culture here in the United States is very different. It's like fast paced, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of everybody's working, everybody's trying to find themselves and, and make ends meet, um, men and women. And so mostly it was like six in the morning. We'd like get cereal if you could before catching the bus. Um, eating whatever food they had um, at lunch, which, I mean, really isn't that great for you. The school system, that's a whole nother story. They don't give you the best of options for your children. Um, but we, we can't, we don't have enough time to get into that right now. And then um, at dinner time, it would be like, we would come home and my adoptive parents, they would still be working. And so my sisters and I each had days that we cooked in the week. That was like our part of our chore. Um, and so we made sure food was ready for all the kids. I grew up in a household that has um, a household of seven. And so um, we would then eat in the breakfast room. Um, and there was a table in the breakfast room. So it, that, that idea of coming and sitting together as a mm-hmm. family unit, I didn't have that mm-hmm. in the same way I had it um, here in, in home, in my home in Benin. It was very different. Yeah, that sounds so good. And I'm, it's interesting to me that you, you, um, you and I guess your siblings um, are also cooking for this. So I don't know if you learned how to cook before you, you moved or what, like, what was the cooking? How do you learn how to cook, I should say? So funny enough, there wasn't, I learned how to cook by just watching. Mm. Um, so I'd be around my grandmother, both my grandmothers on my mother's side and my father's side were amazing. Are my, my, my grandmother on my father's side has passed away. Uh, my mama's mother is still alive, but both of them 
amazing cooks. Um, so being around and just watching, they ask you to do little things, right? Um, and my father, same thing, just kind of just being, being behind him um, and watching. And we don't learn in the African culture. I'm not sure if it's the same way in Ghana, but there's no such thing as recipes. When you're there, yeah. you're no. quiet. <laughs> you're not getting in the way. You're sitting somewhere and you're like, okay, I'm watching. And you're being asked to maybe chop some tomatoes or something. There's not like a measurement, put a cup of this in here, one teaspoon of that. There's, there's no such thing. Um, and so I learned to cook that way. And when I came here to the States, uh, I, I'll never forget. There was never a like, okay, this is how you do this uh, because my adopted mother's Puerto Rican. And on one Sunday, she was like, hey, I'm going to work, but I need you to make arroz con gandules, which basically is um, red rice with uh, pigeon peas. Uh, I'm like, God, I've never made this in my life. I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm looking at the, the rice um, bag, like, okay, what are the instructions? How much water do I need to? If I told you I spent all day trying to make this rice, it would not be an exaggeration. Oh, my God. How old were you? How old were you by I was, then? I was ten. I was in fifth grade. Oh wow! So this is like soon after you came. You moved. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so let me tell you, that moment actually, um, my failure of making arroz con gandules, and uh, what happened uh, from me from my ultimate failure of making this arroz con gandules actually deterred, like pushed me away from um, food. Period. I actually hated cooking. I did it, but I hated it. I, I wanted nothing to do with it, actually. Um, growing up, moving, being in the United States wasn't something that I enjoyed because there was no love in it for me. It was this thing I felt that I had to do um, yeah. or else I'd get in trouble. And that was it. There wasn't that, that free feeling um, of being next to my mom or being next to my grandmother or my father. And just watching, um, which is how like generations and generations, African food is transcended that way from mother to child and sometimes father to child. That was taken away. That pleasure was taken yeah. away or that desire was taken away. And I really hated it. Not even going to yeah. lie. Uh, my sisters <laughs> now find it so funny that this is what I'm doing. They're like, how? It's actually quite interesting too because I think and maybe you know maybe our stories diverge in that way but for me so obviously I, well, I shouldn't say obviously so I grew up you know back at home and I was and similar to you or maybe I, I guess maybe because I was at home for longer I know I didn't just learn how to cook by observing but eventually like by the time I was you know 15 I was cooking my family and like Literally, I went to the market every weekend with my mom. Like with my mom, I, I knew how to. And this might sound <laughs> gross for like American listening audience, but I knew how to like it, you know like we would they would kill like livestock in our backyard. So like I knew how to deal with the chicken. <laughs> I knew how to deal with the chicken once you know it was all ready to be cooked. Dip it in hot water, pull the feathers, like get the whole thing ready. I knew how to do crabs and snails, like clean them out and all of that. Back when, back then I thought disgusting stuff, but it was the thing, like it was what I had to do. And so 
I mean, now as an adult, I'm super grateful for it. But back then, especially going to the market, I did not enjoy that because my mother was also like a big, she also liked to bargain quite a bit. And you know that we do that back home. And so it's like, it's hard. Like, why aren't we just buying these tomatoes? Like we walk around the whole market and we come back to this <laughs> and buy it anyway. Um, so for me, like, it's, I think it's also interesting to people that, especially to my family, that I'm in the food space now because I did not enjoy cooking. And there's a lot of people who assume that I do because of the stuff I share on Instagram and all of that. I cook a lot, but I just don't. It's not um, a passion, maybe. Yeah, I yeah I don't even yeah I don't know what else. It's just a passion. Like I, I will cook. Sometimes I'll cook with passion when I'm really in the mood. Where I want to cook something really special. Then it's fun for me. But when I'm cooking out of necessity, like right now with this with COVID and being stuck at home, like a lot of us are cooking more. And so for me, it's not that fun, right? Because I have to cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it's more like, oh, it's, I'm doing it for sustenance rather than like, oh, this is doing yeah. out of enjoyment. So I, I totally get that. And I, I can get the disconnect that people will see from like, oh, you're in the food, in the food space. <laughs> you don't like it. Oh, it sounds like that has changed for you, right? So how did you go from feeling that way to getting into to doing what you do now in terms of Juno cuisine. Actually, yeah, this is probably a good time for you to tell us about Juno cuisine. Yes, absolutely. Um, so Juno cuisine is my first business um, and it's um, private chef services and we do, um, we host private dinners um, and catering and all sorts of things um, of that nature. And Junu um, comes from the term Wami Junu, which is from my native, one of my native dialects. Let me not say dialects, let me say one of my favorite language, one of my first <laughs> languages, excuse me, um, which is Fon. And it means come share a meal with me. Um, naturally, when you are, when we're home and we're eating and someone walks in, you're like, you either say Viens faire comme nous, which is French for like, come do like us, come join me. Mm-hmm. Um, where you say, why well, I mean, like, come and sit and, and share this meal with me? Um, and then we, we do that. And, and you don't say it trying to be polite. It's like literally you're saying, that, grab a plate, grab a, a seat, and my plate is here, let's eat together. Um, and that's like naturally what we do. And I thought there was no better name to describe what I was actually trying to invoke, um, which is that communal, you know, all my dinners would sit on a, a long communal table just as I remembered uh, at home uh, before I left and you sit with strangers so that you can have conversations that's centered around um, food and who we are as a people and our culture and our customs so we can see that, well, there's all these differences that separate us. There's so much more that brings us together um, and there's no better way to do that with food. And so that's the basis of Zulu cuisine. Oh, cool. Um, and it's so interesting because the first time I saw the full name of your of your business, we say Bami Junu also. And ah. yeah, we do. So this is why like I remember when I first saw the name of your business, it resonated with me because one of before I started like my platform, I was actually going to, uh, and then I've discovered me Junu. You know, I'm sure you know me Junu in Ghana who Selassie actually stuff. So when I was, I just wanted to Google to make sure nobody was using it and then I that's how I discovered his business actually. Um so she and I are actually from the same tribal ethnic group. So that's interesting to me. And then 
when you talked about um, that idea, so like it's very similar, you like Bami Junu, like that whole culture of like always making sure, you know, inviting people to come in and eat and share that food. Reminded me of how growing up, like we would always make more than we needed, even though we didn't, we may not have had as much with the anticipation that anytime anyone walked through the door, they would be welcome to eat at the table. So like what you shared just sort of took me back then and resonated. Like my mom would always make big pots of soup and if we made jollof, it was always a big pot because you always had the anticipation that you walk in and you wanted to be able to offer yeah. something to, to eat. Um, and you couldn't be more right, you know, and I'm seeing that more and more as I've come back home. Um, and I see my mother, my mother spends her time in, in France and in, in uh, Benin. And when my, my father died uh, 11 years ago, and I've always had this worry of my, for my mom, like when she comes back home, like what does she do? Like, yeah. are they, you know, is there somebody here? Like, how, can, how does she still carry on? And let me just tell you how blown away I am by the 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 space she's built for herself, and and uh-huh. and it didn't come from just nothing, right? You know, yeah. my mom ran a boutique, my mom ran a small restaurant out here. Um, I remember that even when I was a child. And so there isn't a day since I've been here that a, a woman or mother doesn't send her child here to ask mom if she needs them to grab her anything mm-hmm. or um, any of like the sisters or the aunties come in any any time my mom is ready to cook she automatically there's like five women that come in and do everything for her um, so she she's built this this thing this relationship with people yeah. around her that she's never alone and she always cooks for everyone um, yes. to be able to share. And it just is a testament to, again, that culture that we have of um, community. Because everything that I was, I'm, I'm even amazed by this as I'm still saying this to you, that yeah. literally every day there's anything that even I have needed, she has found a way. Um, someone has always been accessible. Uh, to make it happen for us and it's been such an amazing thing to watch and just solidified it for me what I've remembered as a child being away for so long mm. so it's very true uh, what you're saying yeah that's that's incredible and um actually brings me to since you're talking about your mom's cooking brings to the point where I want to talk about what uh, many people eat um, so I think this is a good time to take a break and then when we come back from the break, you can tell us about all the delicious food you're eating at home and then maybe use that to educate us on what Benin food is all about. Yes, absolutely. Okay, awesome. we'll, be, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by A Dozen Cousins. Soulfully seasoned, ready-to-eat beans. A Dozen Cousins aims to bring families delicious and easy-to-prepare food inspired by traditional Black and Latino recipes. From their Cuban black beans made with onion, garlic, and bell peppers, to their Mexican cowboy beans made with green chilies and jalapenos, all the beans from A Dozen Cousins use easy-to-recognize ingredients like beans, vegetables, and nutrient-dense avocado oil, while avoiding GMOs and artificial flavors. Learn more at adozencousins.com. So we are back. Um, 
Now time to talk about food. <laughs> wow. um, so tell us what have you been eating and what 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 can we learn about what today not people eat? Absolutely. First of all, let me say, like, what have I not been eating? Um, <laughs> I've been stuffing my face here. I thought I was going to lose weight, but I see that's literally not what's going to happen. <laughs> but I'm really happy about it. So um, where we are, we're right on the coast. So we have a lot of fresh fish. Um, so a lot of our food um, like consists of seafood and a whole lot of fish. Uh, so we have dishes like moyo, which... Um, uh, is a tomato-based sauce that you can either grill, smoke, or fry fish and use that in. Um, we have lots of veg- vegetable um, dishes, which is so funny because anyone from East Africa would be like, oh, us West Africans really eat meat. Um, but we do have a lot of, um, uh, uh, there's a particular dish that we call ma, which is um, hearty uh, and has lots of different greens in there. Uh, and so there's so many different ways to make that as well. But recently, one of um, the women in the neighborhood here made a man that I would never forget in my life. Um, and she, it is not typical. Usually, it's it's wet. We'll use like palm oil, um, and we'll boil the leaves, and we'll um, fry a bunch of things, and then add it in there. Um, and it's wet, but she made a dry version using goosey, uh, which uh, Nigerians use, you know, a lot of their dishes as well. And what she did was she um, blended a bunch of green uh, spicy peppers, and she fried that in oil with um, the goosey. And then she added the greens, and she added some smoked uh, fish oh manure and some cow skin. You know, when I tell you... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like she's gonna make it again this week for me because it's literally the most amazing, the most amazing thing I've ever had in my life. It was so, so good. Um, and so smell it from here, actually. Oh my goodness! It's just it was so amazing, and I was so blown away by the ability um, she had of not making it of making it dry because typically it, it is wet. When we, it's like when you see collard greens from the states. Um, yeah. The wetness, uh, but it's on our end is a little bit thicker because we were using it, we're we're eating it with like a, a probably a starchy side, um, and so it, I was just amazed by all the flavor she got in there. And so she's gonna teach me how to make it this week because I'm not leaving here without knowing that. I was gonna um, ask you, are you gonna learn how to make it and bring it back to your menu here in the states? Absolutely. I already told her there's no way I need to learn how to make this because it was so delicious. <laughs> Um, and it and it just shows a different side of um, of our food, you know, uh, because we use a lot of tomato based things. Mm-hmm. We eat a lot of tomato based things, and it's just a different side of it. Um, we do eat pork as well, like we'll grill pork or fried pork. Um, we have a dish called um, palancate, which is basically what, what that means is that the the sauce we cook is made with the blood of um, the animal. So you can use um, goat or you can use pork, um, and it's made, you use the sauce, the blood to make the sauce. Now, as we know, um, there are different ones now that you don't just use the blood anymore, you can use other thickeners like flour, you know? Um, so they have different versions now, but when I was a child, I always remember it being the blood of the um, meat is what we use to um, cook 
cooking, we eat that with um, eba, which is like a salad greens yeah. um, that you cook, uh, and it forms this thick substance that um, you eat that with. Uh, and also, so here's the thing, you know, there's always this Ghanaian and Nigerian and uh, maybe like, <laughs> what, what other country? Uh, you know, you always hear Nigerian and Ghana, uh, Ghana um, Jollof Wars, right? Yes, uh, and but Ghana, we, like, even Liberia has put themselves into this Jollof Wars. Yeah. So I have no intentions of coming into this war now, but I simply, <laughs> simply want to say um, that Benin, we also have a version of um, the those rice that y'all would call Jola. Uh, <laughs> she said the rice that y'all would call Jola. <laughs> you know, I wanted to put it aside because I'm not trying to get into it. I don't want to, Benin, we're not going to come into the war. Y'all got it. But um, it's called Rio Gras. And so we, uh, it's like the same base of you, what you guys do. Um, and then we add like cabbage. I remember my mom always doing the shot cabbage and it's like super spicy. Um, the difference I would say is, I don't know if different countries use like palm oil in their, um, their rice. I've seen it in some Nigerian jollofs that there's palm oil in there, which I particularly like. Um, but it seems that the one we do is a lot more dry than most jollofs that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have that as well. We have a Rio Gras, which is not to be compared to jollof rice, <laughs> but somewhat similar. <laughs> um, and we have a lot of like just grilled meat, um, grilled mm-hmm. uh, duck, grilled turkey, um, grilled uh, pork, grilled beef. Um, and what else can I say? Like, Oh, I would say two of my favorite sauces, we eat a sauce d'arachide, which is a peanut-based sauce. It's probably the most known um, sauce in Benin. Um, and then we have uh, sauce graine, which is made of palm um, hearts, right? Okay. And so I literally, when I was in Lomé, I watched my grandmother make it from scratch, how um, she doesn't have the strength now to boil and then pound the palm oh, yeah. but I watched the whole process of how we boil it and then we we um beat it and then we yeah. uh, separate all the and, and let me tell you it was the most amazing um soap blend that I've ever had uh, in my life I mean buy it because <laughs> it's my baby but it was amazing <laughs> and that's also really big here and we do eat pounded yam um now, I, I just learned that pounded plantain is more of an Ivory Coast thing versus the oh, pounded okay. yam, which is more of what we do here in Benin, um, which is uh, coming from like cassava uh, yeah. or yam, we would call it here. So that's something that I learned, um, the, the distinctive difference uh, between that. But that's some of the things that I've been eating. And also, oh, atasi which is a very big thing that we eat here in the morning, which is like um, rice and peas, uh, okay. which is, would be similar to what people know as Jamaican rice and peas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we eat that with fried fish, uh, maybe a boiled egg, and then sosja. Uh, sosja is a really reduced uh, um, soft made of tomato, onions, and spicy peppers that you continuously fry and reduce. So you want it to be this thick substance 
And in Ghana, I think that y'all add your black shito pepper, right? Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that we, what you, what you just described also sounds like wache for us. So we also have a rice and beans dish called wache, which we would typically have with like some sort of protein, boiled egg, um, and then shito, shito in it too. And then shito is it's exactly that idea of like we fry, you basically cook it all the way down. Um, partly because it's, it's also a pres, uh, preservation technique that it lasts longer. And then we use um, uh, dried fish and dried shrimp to give it like a, a, a I guess what they say these days, umami, <laughs> umami, smoky. Um, yeah, so no, that sounds amazing. It actually sounds very similar. I guess there's similarities in West African food, but it sounds more similar to Ghanaian food than than what. Uh, yeah, what I think I would. I think I would agree with that. Yeah, I, would, I think I would agree with that. But Asasi, literally, when I got off the plane and I finally went through all the dramatics that we had to go through at the airport, <laughs> and I got into the car, I was like, "Mom, what I want for breakfast tomorrow is Asasi." <laughs> and actually, what is the breakfast? It's actually considered a breakfast food. So, like in a lot of places, so it's a street food. In a lot of places, if you don't get there at like ten, eleven, and go on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna bring you back to to stateside. <laughs> um, just. Just in thinking about the work you do with with uh, Junyu in in your home, well, I guess your adopted city of Raleigh. Um, mm-hmm. What's been your experience with? I want to say African food, but I'll narrow it down to West African food in Raleigh. Um, mm-hmm. And in terms of one bringing, you know, helping your business grow, like what is the appetite of the people in the city to accepting? Um, your food, right. um, and then, then just also, if if it's related at all, um, like you, you know, you said your adoptive family was Puerto Rican. If you've had any influence uh-huh. that in your in your cooking as well, yeah, that's that's a lovely question. So, um, where I am, uh, you know, there's no representation of West African food. Um, you know, you see some East African food, you see, you know, Moroccan, you see Kenyan, um, even maybe some South African food. And I'm going to even say typically, you know, if you're not in a big city, like you're in New York's or like maybe you're DC, um, I don't know if that's really a thing. If, if West African food is really represented to the same extent as the other regions of Africa, maybe. Um, and so Typically, I, I want to say that um, there is an appetite for it, especially as I started this journey of introducing it to people. Um, and the whole basis of what I'm doing is to not only, I want to keep the authenticity of what uh, West African food is, but also because it is now in the hands of us as young female chefs or young chefs in general. Um, I think it's up to now, it's up to us now to introduce this this thing to people. And so I may make you some, you know, pounded yam and this sostashi that I talked about a little bit ago, but it's not going to look the same way, right? Because I'm 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 interpreting it my way, 
but the basis of the value of what the food is doesn't change. Um, and I want West African food to be just as fine dining as any other food that you see right. that has already used that gap, you know, like uh, French food, uh, Indian food, even, you know, Mexican food, Latin food. I want yes. West African food to be at that same um, caliber. And I think that as I'm continuing to do what I do, um, there's more people who are, are aware of it now. I've, I've, I've started building somewhat of a base of um, support um, and people who are really interested in the food that I make. Um, and then, you know, where that actual whole um, idea came from for me, because I didn't answer this question a bit ago, it's about like, how did I come back into food? How did I fall in love with it again? Um, and it's because um, at the age of, I want to say maybe I was 19, I started working, or 20, I started working at this um, uh, small boutique hotel at, in the heart of Yale. And in this uh, hotel, they had a restaurant, but it's still there, called um, Heirloom. Heirloom was the farm-to-table, is, excuse me, a farm-to-table restaurant. Um, and that, I had always worked in the restaurant industry, but I hadn't worked in fine dining before this experience. And as I started working there, I realized that, oh, people actually want to come in here and spend this money um, and, and eat the food. And I, re- I started to understand the intent and that this, this is intentional, like food can be intentional. Mm-hmm. And then I, it, it connected with me about how I can share my story and I can, I can tell a story with the food. And it just really, I, I gravitated to it. It almost became an obsession. Like, how can I do this? And slowly, you know, I, I started to um, do pop-up dinners that really, I'm speaking not just about food. I'm talking about a culture. Um, sometimes I bring adoption into it some, in, in a very, like, gentle way. It's not abrasive. But it's really to make people think about, like, the world that we live in and, and, and how we view Africa yeah. from, like, a third person perspective. Um, and so definitely to go back to answering the second question about the Puerto Rican um, influence. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I was still in the kitchen with my abuelita, <laughs> learning how to make pasteles, learning how to make piñon, learning how to make um, penis, learning how to make so many different um, Puerto Rican food. And that also showed me some of the similarities. And that's also very engraved in what I do in, in bridging the gap between cultures and us understanding that, like, when we talk about transatlantic slave um, trade, there's a reason why we can look at rice and peas in Jamaica and make this connection to the Satafi we eat here and in Ghana. So let's not forget that, that all that stuff comes from somewhere. And I want us to um, have you know, maybe not necessarily just have a seat at the table when we talk about food and history of food, but maybe we can build our own table um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. We're not talked about when we talk about food and history of food. Yeah, this actually reminds me so much of the conversation we had back when, when you know, I first met you um, about, you know, bringing one, building our own table is for sure, and then bringing that conversation about Africa and African food and our culture and eventually how do we use all of that to help develop, um, uh, you know, economies back home. Yeah. So I'm always sort of interested in people thinking about 
how that all of that connects, right? Absolutely. And I've had the most humbling experiences now that I've been here and I've been back home. I've been here maybe three weeks now. Um, and, you know, my, my sole reason for coming here is um, I have a spice line um, that is just about to launch. But I, I now I'm changing my concept and making sure that I'm sourcing all my food from local um, women here, like from the market. Uh, and so I've been in the market. I've been doing all this research. I've been connecting with all these different women um, out here. And uh, one thing that I noticed, and I was having a conversation with my mom, I'm like, how come all the women who sell tomatoes are all sitting next to each other? And just me thinking, you know, the way I would think probably from an uh, outsider perspective, right? I'm saying, if I'm selling tomatoes, like, why am I not? where someone sells onions or where someone sells garlic so that way like all that stuff goes together right and there's me just thinking like that or or then i said well why aren't they all getting together and then saying um okay how can we work together to uh maybe because we're all sourcing our tomatoes from the same place how can we now form this type of like system where we all are winning um, and helping each other, and then maybe that actually affects us at home in a different way, a more positive way, right? And then I have to realize, wait a day, you're you're talking from a place of privilege, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I had this this the most humbling um, experience because I'm like I'm so my heart is like okay, how can we, you know, start our economy, but at the the all the way at the level in which it actually affects are everyday people, not just big companies, right, that are built here. And I had to think, stop myself for, for a second and realize that I've had the opportunity to be outside of here. And um, where we are here in my country, these women, it's like you're thinking about right now. How can I sell the most amount of tomatoes so that I can feed my family or that I can save enough so that my daughter has the opportunity not it's not it's not guaranteed the opportunity or the privilege to go to school um and so I have to remember that for a moment and and think um outside of the entrepreneurial whatever that word is (laughs) um, mindset that you you build when you're uh in the states maybe and things are just not the same yeah I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just saying it's been really humbling. Yeah, and I was going to say to just to that point, it's also that um, that the mindset, in, in some ways, the mindset is different. Because I remember when, when I first moved here, um, and I don't know what it was about particularly, but I just remember, like, you know, people being surprised that, you know, someone had an extra thing going on besides their day job or whatever and they called it like the new the new side hustle economy or blah 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 whatever that was and I was like I remember thinking that's not new growing up like I knew people who like you know my mom was this or my dad was this but they always had something else going on and not necessarily because they wanted to, it was, probably, it was mostly out of necessity, right? You needed to be able to supplement your income. Again, if you wanted that opportunity or that privilege for your family, but people were doing this and were already finding ways to manage juggling all of that so that they would 
um, be able to provide opportunity, uh, you know, if they wanted better, much better for, for their children than they ever had. So it's also about reframing like the things that we see and maybe understanding the cultural lens through which that is happening versus what we've seen outside of the continent. Absolutely. And to your point, African women, I just have to say I'm so proud to be an African woman. Literally, <laughs> yeah. um, like, are the MVPs of, like, entrepreneurship. Yep. All these women hustling every single day from sun up to sun down uh, to just provide for their family. And it's just this amazing thing. Um, that you're driving and you see them, you know, like they set up their little thing and maybe they're selling fried yam or even, yeah. even, um, even gas. Like, it's just, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I just, I, if you're an African woman and you're listening, I lift you up. You are my mother, my sister, my auntie, my grandmother, all the above. And I just support you. I lift you up. I tell you courage. Um, because you know we are so strong and we define the commerce of this African culture that we know is more proud to be an African woman yeah exactly um we are just about to wrap up but you mentioned something like very quickly you glossed it right I want to make sure that people catch that is it at a point where you can share a little bit more about it or yeah absolutely i can so um the spice line is called idewa by Juno cuisine um idewa is a yoruba word that means um home like our home and you know the the, the logic of this is that we want to bring a little bit of africa into your kitchen um and so we have like i've made a traditional spice uh, which is more similar to suya and that's the traditional one and then in light of really saying that, you know, African food is transcended from women, woman to or mother to child, generation to generation. And now it's my turn, you know, I, this is my generation to now reintroduce African food to the world. Um, I then now made my version of something. So we have um, a traditional suya spice and then we have uh, a coffee suya rub, which is delicious. If I say so myself um, <laughs> I, I, I I'm sure it is like having experienced the you know the way you work with flavors I, I I'm I'm 100% sure that it is uh thank you so much but now <laughs> that I've been here I've found so many more inspirations so there's going to be more um spices that are added on but currently you know we, we have some stores that we'll be going into um, very soon, but we'll also be selling, you know, online our website. Um, but I'm really, really excited for it for that. Um, really excited for that because, for example, suya is not something, or a lot of these spices is not something that you see at like a local, at a grocery store. Like, you're not gonna go to Whole Foods and, and find this. You're not gonna go to whatever grocery store you have in your state. You're not gonna see that. And I'm on like this mission of getting our spices into more accessible um, areas and not just, you know, not just the local African market, which might not even be near you. And I learned this um, because COVID has really changed the way most of us are doing business. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I've had to, like, my business literally stopped because people weren't able to gather. So nice. I had to switch really quickly. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to host cooking classes um, with, like, large corporations. Um, they've reached out to me and we've done cooking classes for, like, you know, their team building stuff, which has been so fun. Really interesting because, like, I like touching. I like seeing people. I like hugging people. <laughs> but um, it's been different but still wonderful. And I realized as I was trying to send these recipes out and these grocery lists, I'm like, where are people going to find Suya? And then I was like, I have my own. How can I get it to everybody who is like in California, which literally is something that happens or who is like in a different country? Right. I was like, OK, what do how how can I change this? Because Suya is a part of my recipe, but now I have to change it because it's not accessible. And I was like, that's not okay. We really need to work on that. So like I'm on this mission of getting it into grocery stores so it's accessible and that people can. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I agree. Like that's that that is like the turning point. I, I feel strongly and some may disagree that we need to get into mainstream. Like I think this there's a lot of good work happening like in the African food space. We're getting a lot more visibility, although the visibility I personally feel is limited to like just a few people. Um, so I think there's work that needs to be done and to to elevate the work of a lot more people. And um, you know, like that earlier this year, it's just there's there's still a lot of work to do, which means there's a lot more opportunities. So so it's exciting times for sure. And even in in, in adversity, there's a lot to look forward to. And like a, a quick shout out to Chef Pierre who has is doing exactly. And I'm yeah. like um, a great supporter of him, and also like uh, he's one of like the people that I watch. Like, how is he doing this? You know, I'm right. learning so much from him. Um, and he's brought Fonio. He's done it. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's doing it. Definitely mainstream, and they do a lot of work with education, ed- educating people about the grain. Now coming up with different. Um, flavors and, and uh, products with Fonio. So he's, he's yeah. doing good work, I agree. Um, yeah, running out of time. So just before we do the rapid fire, can you let people know where they can find you online, on social media? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us online at uh, dunucuisine.com and that's uh, D-O-U-N-O-U cuisine. Um, and you can find us on Facebook and on uh, Instagram, same thing, Zulu Cuisine. Um, and, you know, you can email us. Our contact information is on there for any questions. And, you know, we're always open to getting feedback and hearing um, everyone's perspective. So don't hesitate to, like, send us an email or even call. We're always ready for that. So those are places where you can find us. Cool. All right, now we'll do the rapid fire segment very quickly. Um, okay. I, I, I asked you this as the example, but why not? Um, coffee or tea? Ooh, okay, that's hard. Um, <laughs> definitely, I'm going to say coffee and tea because there's a time for each of them. Uh, coffee in the morning, and then I love um, lemongrass leaves, which is a big thing here. Yeah. Oh, that's it's good. Like, you know, I got to drink that. That's amazing. So I can't choose coffee and tea, please. Yeah. Um, morning person or night person? Oh, oh 
my God, I'm gonna sound like this. This girl even know herself. Um, <laughs> but like, it really depends. Um, I can wake up super early or I cannot. Uh, it depends. Um, but really, I have to stay on both. But if I can pick one, um, I'm definitely, I can be a night owl sometimes. Okay, so probably night person in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, sweet or salty? Mm. These are, I mean, I like them both. <laughs> <laughs> this is so hard. Um, sweet or salty? Oh my God. You know, you can't do this to me. I love food. Too much to pay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let, let, let me switch. Let me ask you something not related to food. This likely not related to food. Um. What's I? I guess I don't even know if you're watching Netflix or you're at home. Ooh, what's What are you? What's What's your favorite Netflix show? What What are you watching on Netflix right now that you like? Um. So. I am watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because, yes, they've brought these 90s shows on to Netflix. Thank you, Netflix. Um, and before then, I was watching Living Single. I love those types of shows. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. When, when I, TV I, represented I, us. <laughs> right? I don't know what happened. I really don't know what happened. I've been watching Moesha. Um, yeah. most of them. You know, people used to tell me I look like her. I'm not sure why or how, but I'll take it. But that was a good one too. Yeah. Um, and then last question, which is probably as aspirational, but you know, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? What would I do if I knew I could not fail? Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, so literally my heart, um, lies, um, in Africa and my, my heart is all about like progressing, um, our, our women or making it easier for our women to do business here in Africa. Um, so if I could not feel, I would find a way to maybe change our market system, um, so that women didn't, it, it doesn't, so it doesn't feel like a struggle. Yeah. Um, and that there's less stress in it and the haggling, you know, maybe could change. And as a business person, this woman can say, hey, my tomato costs this much and like we just pay it. Um, that is my if I if I could do anything in the world, it would be that. Cool. Well, that's all I have for you. Thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you for making time out of your eating schedule. <laughs> yeah, you can call it that, absolutely. <laughs> to chat with me. Um, I've enjoyed sharing your story. Like I said, like when I first met you, you really, really touched my heart. And I thought, um, just learning more about your story, I thought it would be great to share with the rest of the world. So. Thank you so much. That is so sweet. Thank you very much. And I can't wait for, um, you know, Corona to kind of wrap this up so we can all be able to get together again and yeah. you know, some delicious food. I can't wait for that. Yeah.
but thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been such a pleasure, such a wonderful conversation. I wish, you know what, we just need to have a phone call and we can just still talk about these things. I know, like, this is what I said, like, back, back then, back in January, I don't know if it was January or February, like, when I went to meet you, I was just like, oh, I'm going to do this, like, I'll stop by, say hi for an hour, and we just, like, forever, so. Um, Definitely. We must do it again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. To keep up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item 13 Podcast. Item 13 is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.